Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland, and we take timeless biblical truth and help you to apply it in the context of your daily life. You can always join us live each Sunday morning at 8.30, 9.45, or 11 a.m. at our Rock Spring, Georgia campus, or at 11 a.m. at our Rossville, Georgia campus, which is just outside of Chattanooga, Tennessee. Well, thank you to our worship team. Did a fantastic job. I appreciate those guys. They get here about 6 o'clock in the mornings, and, and they're here until the last note, and so I really appreciate uh, all they do. Great job leading us in worship today. Hey, Acts chapter 9, if you have your Bibles. If you're watching online, uh, you've got a little Bible tab over there. Uh, you can just click on that down at the bottom, I think it is, and, and say Bible and go to Acts chapter 9. Do you, you just heard Josh when he prayed. Josh talked about uh, Pevine City, and I know some of you may not even know what that is when we talk about it, but Pevine City is uh, our God-defined, we feel like God-defined ministry area for our church, and it was, it's a 20-mile radius of our campus right here, where I stand, it's a 20-mile radius of here, and it encompasses about, about half a million people that's in the, uh, maybe in the Chattanooga area, all the way down to Dalton, it goes almost to Alabama, and, and it goes east a little bit, and that's our area, and that's our mission. Our mission, if you're new to our church, uh, has been for about four years, we felt like God gave it to us about four years ago, and we unveiled it a little bit after that, but we felt like... I, this is what God told us to do, reach every person in Peavine City with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so here's what we're trying to do, reach every person in Peavine City with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And our first goal is 1%, which is about 5,000 people that we, because I mean, at the end of the day, hey, you get this, right? At the end of the day, all that matters in life is whether you're going to heaven or hell will you die. Can you get an amen right there? I mean, there are some things attached to that, but I, I, I'd rather be a bad Christian in heaven than a good person in hell. Y'all okay with that? Right, because that's what God's called us to do as a church, is to reach Pevine City with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so that is, look, that's our driving force. Now, for a lot of churches, I want to tell you, they have a mission and it's window dressing, but it's not here. You, you go to our staff meetings, you're here. Everything we do, we filter through, uh, will it help us reach Pevine City with the gospel of Jesus Christ? We have people email us and call us and stop by and give us ideas, stop me in the hall and say, we ought to do this and do that. We filter all that. We say no uh, to almost everything because we're trying to stay focus on reaching every person in, in, in the Peavine City. Now, I'll be honest, there are times as pastor, I bring a, a, an idea to a staff meeting. I'm like, hey, I had this idea. Here's what we ought to do. And, and it'll get quiet. And one of them will say, um, uh, well, let me ask you this, preacher. Will that help us reach every person in Peavine City with the gospel? And sometimes, it, I, let me, all these were Jeremy's ideas, not mine. Those were all Jeremy's ideas. And I'll be like, you know, because hey, we hold ourselves with our own filter. So helping us reach people in Peavine with the gospel. And can I tell you this, that when, when, when COVID whatever happened uh, a few months ago, uh, that was our driving mission. Every decision we made, we filled it through what's going to help us reach more people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because I want to tell you, uh, you might not have done everything the way we've done it, right? I get that. If you were in charge, you'd done things differently. In, 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 if I were in charge of whatever you do, I'd do things differently than you did them. That's just the way life works, right? You don't agree with everything we do. We don't agree with everything you do, but all God's children get along anyway, right? Uh, that's one of our one statements. We may not agree on everything, but we're going to agree on the main thing, which is reaching people with the gospel. And I'm so you may not believe this. I'm not saying I believe it. I'm just saying I'm throwing it out there for us to ponder. It, it may be that God put us in this situation 
so we could reach more people. I know some of you are thinking God's up in heaven wringing his hands trying to figure out what the church is going to do. Can I tell you, that is not the case. God wasn't shocked at what happened in 2020. As a matter of fact, you know what God's been doing for about 10 years? Sitting back and laughing at our 2020 plans for 10 years. Because every place I've ever worked had a 2020 vision, right? Going way back then. And God's like, yeah, yeah. If you only knew what's happening in 2020, that's not going to happen. Because God's not shot. And I'm not sure God didn't do it so that more people, because can I tell you what we're hearing every week? Uh, preacher, you're not going to believe this, but so-and-so's started watching our, I've, I would never be able to get in church. They don't live here. Preacher, so-and-so got saved. Preacher, I can't, but we've had people saved all around America who watched our online services. And I'm not sure that would happen. And that's eternity for somebody. And by the way, none of this is the sermon. This is all leading up to it. Uh, uh, this is rambling. None of that would have happened. Unless we'd had our driving mission of our goal is we feel like God gave us to reach every person in Piedmont City. And God may have done, I know some of you that's hard to reconcile. God may have done this on purpose so more people could hear about Jesus. Because can I tell you this? God scattered the church in Acts 8-1 on purpose. You may find this hard to believe, but God sent persecution to the early church on purpose so they would scatter and so the gospel would get out. That's exactly what Acts 1 says. On that day, severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered throughout the land. Judea and Samaria. So here's what happened. Everybody but the staff had to go have church somewhere else. That's exactly what happened to us. Exactly. It's Acts 8.1, relived, it's Bible. So I don't like it, but I have a hard time being mad about it because God may have made it happen. It may be his divine will for it to happen. Now I want it over with as soon as it can be over with, but it may have happened on purpose because we can still be the church when we're scattered. And that's been the whole point in my sermon series for the last few weeks is being the church without the church. We don't have the building to actually meet in. How can we be the church. So two weeks ago, I started this, and I'm just going to hit it again bigger and better. And this is part B. I don't do that very much, but I, we had, I had five points and could only get two in in my last sermon. I want to give the last three today, and uh, then we'll, we'll move on. Let's talk about bigger and better, the way God designed the church to be. Before we do that, the folks over at Thrillist ranked the top snacks of all time. The top snacks of all time. Now, when I say snacks, I'm not, I'm not talking about like celery. All right, we're talking about monosaturated, poly, polysaturated. If you, can I just say this? If you understand the ingredients on the back of the bag, it's not a real snack. Like if it, if it in any time includes the word organic, it is not a real snack. You should not be able to read the ingredients on the back and it probably should have the word dextrose and glucose in it somewhere along the way just to make it a legit snack so they ranked the great snacks of all time so i'm gonna share it with you today and make a point with it but i thought i'd get your opinion on some of these like number 10 came in what was the best snack of all time number 10 was a bag of fritos right like we can all get behind a bag of fritos especially if it's chili cheese fritos then uh, that's even better fritos came in number 10 i, I respect that number nine I, I don't get i hate these things gummy whatever any gummy thing, it is like chewing a piece of rubber is what it is, but it, it, you know, if that's your thing. Number, number eight, I love cheese. Can we stop talking about cheeses for a minute, number eight? Cheeses may have been the most perfect snack food ever invented by mankind. I don't know if you know this. If you're thin, you may not know this, so let me enlighten your world a little bit. 
and you can look like me. Do you know what you can do with this cheese? By the way, and go by the grocery store today and get the big cheeses. I don't know if you know this. They make like extra large cheeses. And, and did you know this? Do you know you can put peanut butter on a cheese it and then put another cheese it on top of it and you have a cheese it peanut butter sandwich? How many of you ever done that before? Let me see your hand. You ever done that? Oh, not enough of you. All right. So, so this is the new blackjack cherry ice cream. Go get a cheese it and put peanut butter on it and eat the cheese it sandwich. Did you know you can put, get this wild, cheese on a cheese it? It's delicious. You can put salami on a Cheez-It, and you put all three, and it is the best snack ever. Cheez-Its would have been higher on my list, but man, I I love a Cheez-It. All right, now, number seven, we've got a little controversy. Best snack of all time, number seven, was M&M's. But they didn't specify, because there's a big difference between plain M&M's and peanut M&M's. They're not the same. And so uh, I thought I'd do a poll in, in the audience. And if you're watching online, just clap at home. And 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 at Rossville, clap down the camera. All right, so let's take an informal poll. If you like plain M and M's better than peanut M and M's, let me hear you clap. Plain better than peanut. Every service, every service. If you like peanut M and M's better than plain M and M's, let me hear you clap. That's 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 what I'm saying. All God's people said peanut M and M's, right? Because that's I, I don't even know why they make these. I don't I don't like these. Don't care about these. It, it's just terrible. I'll tell you why they make these. They make me appreciate the real M&M, which is a peanut M&M. All right, number six, Cheetos. Love that. If they're flaming hot, that's even better, but Cheetos made number six. Number five is ridiculous. Uh, it's a kid's food. It's a goldfish. And I, I'll be honest, it's just a cheese that's shaped like a fish is all it is, is, is a goldfish. But then when you get number four, we're starting to get into some serious snacks. Now, th- this top four basically would have been my top four as well. And we hear the first sweet thing, really, number four, is a Reese's peanut butter cup. That is one of the best foods ever. Uh, it's, one, it's in the food pyramid, as a matter of fact, if you look at it, the right one. And then number three, a can of Pringles, right? Well, nobody's mad at that. Number two's for Josh because he eats all the ones in our house, Oreos. Anybody mind that? Now, we're down to the number one uh, snack of all time. Does anybody have any idea? Just shout it out at me. Dorito. Popcorn. Somebody said popcorn all morning. Ice cream. Yeah. All God's people said Doritos. Yeah, dipped in chocolate is even better. But uh, Doritos, like, like, yes, that's not a healthy snack. I don't even know what a Dorito is. It says, I love this, nacho cheese flavor. It's not nacho cheese on there. It's nacho cheese flavor. We don't care, right? It's got greens can't pronounce, and it's the best thing out there for a snack. I honestly probably would have put Doritos first. And here's what I know about our snacks is when it comes to our snacks, you just don't want quality. Like, I, I want quality with the Dorito. You know, in a Dorito bag, if you like Doritos, every now and then you reach in there and you find like five Doritos that have melted together. If you've never had that experience it caused you to fall on your knees and thank God for Doritos, and it's the best thing ever. And heard a guy talking on a podcast the other day that he reached inside his bag one time and found like a golf ball size uh, ball of just the Dorito dust had fell into his bag somehow. And he literally put it in a salt shaker and salted all his food with it for months after that. Well, why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? If I worked at a Dorito factory, I'd be arrested like every week for taking Dorito dust home with me. 
Here's the thing about Doritos. We don't just, when it comes to your favorite snack, whatever yours is on here, you just don't want quality. You also want, do you know what it is? Quantity. Like you don't eat a Pringle. You eat a can of Pringles. Right? That's individual serving size can, isn't it? The big tall, the tall one. You don't eat an Oreo. You eat a sleeve of Oreos is how is the technical term for it. Sleeve of Oreos. You don't eat one Dorito. I wouldn't fool with one Dorito. Like, like my wife tells me Doritos give me Dorito breath, which apparently is not a good thing. I'm not going to lose out on smooching over one Dorito. But if it's a bag, I have a decision to make all of a sudden, right? Because we want quality, we want a good snack, and we want quantity. Bad Doritos aren't good, but one Dorito isn't good. We want a good snack and a bunch of it. We want better and bigger. And I only say that to tell you that that's kind of the way church was meant to be. Church is not supposed to be a Dorito. It's supposed to be the big family-sized bag of Doritos. You say, well, preacher, bring, bring, I'm with you. Look, a church is supposed to be full of quality Christians. That is people who love Jesus, love his word, love worship, love the lost, love the church, and live for him. And then a church is to be growing and reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is better and bigger, bigger and better. Quality and quantity. We find it in Acts chapter 9. Here's what he said in verse 31. So the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It increased in numbers. Now, that whole increase in numbers, yet it, 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 it's the parenthetical phrase for all of it that comes above. So we've started looking at what came above that. And last week, uh, last time I talked about being called out, we're the ecclesia of, the, of God. We're a called out assembly to live differently and to take the church uh, passionately. And then it, it was peace out that they grew and they had external peace. But, but for us right now, we're starting to see it. We, we've had external peace for centuries, but now it's always been internal strife. And if a church is ever going to grow, it needs internal peace. And we talked about how to have all that. We don't have any issues, but I like preventative medicine. And so let me move on. Three more things today I want to talk about. Number one is work out. Here, here's what it said, and was strengthened. The word strengthened in the Greek is a great word. It means to edify, to build up, to grow spiritually, to promote spiritual growth. It means to confirm in the faith. And here's the thing about the word strengthen. It is in the present tense, so it is a continuous action. It means it's an action that is ongoing all the time, that you are to be strengthened and strengthened and strengthened and strengthened and grow and grow and grow and grow. And the church had been scattered. And while it was scattered, they were reaching people. But also, those same Christians who were out reaching people were out growing in their faith. There was death to the church as well and that's exactly what God wants our church to be and you as a Christian so follow me we are to be if you remember the old kids song it's out of context but remember the old kids song we're to be deep and wide deep and wide not deep or wide not not uh, just deep not just wide but deep and wide that is we are to be have spiritual depth to our Christian lives we're growing as Christians we're also to be wide and cast a wide net with the gospel so many people can come to faith in Jesus Christ and too often churches choose one or the other and it becomes either or 
Jesus never meant for you as a Christian or for a church to be that way. And he, he said it on his last instructions to the church. Here's what he said. Jesus came near and said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. That's reaching them with the gospel. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Here it is. Reaching people with the gospel, growing in Christ. Reaching people with the gospel, strengthen. Reaching people with the gospel, wide and deep. Deep and wide. Jesus wants us to do both. Reach more people and be growing as well. That's your calling, by the way, as a believer in Jesus Christ. Your calling as a believer is to reach the world around you with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And while you're doing that, be growing as a Christian. You're thinking, well, that's a lot of work. That's right. That's why I called it work out. It is a work out for you to constantly be reaching people with the gospel and constantly be growing. Because here's the deal. I've I've had Christians uh, in the church that majored on one or the other. You've... You may be one, so I don't want to hurt your feelings, but you've got, you've got people over here who are all about going deep, and they're like, hey, preacher, I've been praying through it because I pray 20 hours a day, and uh, I think the entire church should memorize the book of Leviticus. And I have to be like, no, no, we're not. We're not doing that. That's, but there's such good depth in Leviticus. I, I know, I'm sure there is. But we're not going to. And then you got the guy over here that's all about reaching people, and he was all, hey, preacher, I had an idea. I think we should let like everybody get at the mall and then let's burn it down and start a fire in it. And as they run out, let's hand them gospel tracts on the way out. That'll be good and scared. And I'm like, no, that's not good either. See, there's a middle ground over here. You're not supposed to be either or it's supposed to be both and. And if you're not careful as a Christian, even as a church, you see it all the time. Churches get way out of balance. You don't know this guy, probably. His name's Matthew Slight. He's in Germany. And if, if you look at him for just a moment, you're going to know something really weird about Matthew. And that is his left arm is much smaller than his right arm. Or to put it more distinctly, his right arm is much bigger than his left arm. His forearm is 18 inches around. And you say, well, uh, no, he was born with a birth defect. And the birth defect causes this arm to be huge. And it had been that way all of his life, and it was kind of embarrassing. And he was 16 years old. He was deciding what he was going to do about it. And he read about an arm wrestling contest in his hometown in Germany. And so literally, no training, never arm wrestled, never done anything. 16 years old. He walked down to where the arm wrestling thing was, and he entered it, and he won the contest. And he became a literal professional arm racer, uh, wrestler. In the last 10 years, he has won 10 German national titles and 14 titles at the international level. They even designed an arm wrestling robot for him to compete against, and he beat the robot. But it's all because he's way out of balance. He probably walks this way because he's got one supersized arm. He's got one arm that looks like Popeye. And one arm that looks like olive oil. Or as I like to call it, Denny and me. <laughs> and a lot of churches and Christians get that way. God, we, get, we get lopsided on this way and we make bad decisions. We get lopsided on that way. You as a believer, they're Christians, they're believers that way. Oh, all my ministry, I've seen it. There are believers who, like preacher, I pray and study the Bible 20 hours a day. And they're... People that are just opposite, and they're like, no, I don't study the Bible, but I tell you what I did. I ran into a burning building, pulled people out, and told them about Jesus before I resuscitated them. You know, I wonder, it's, 
While we're scattered, we can do both, church. You ought to constantly be inviting people to church to hear. We're going to say the gospel here every Sunday, and you ought to constantly be inviting people to be part of this gospel experience that we have here at Peavine, telling them about Jesus. But then while we've been shut down, you ought to be studying your Bible and figuring out, how can I get closer to the Lord? How can I get closer to God during all this time? So many people have had so much time on their hands. When was the last time you did either one of those as a believer? When was the last time you invited someone to church who's not a Christian? When was the last time you went and bought a spiritual book off Amazon or a devotional book or a book about God and said, you know what, I'm going to dive into my Bible and I'm going to dive into this book and I'm going to grow closer to God? It's both and. Reach people the gospel and get closer to God in the process. Number four, it's not just a workout, but number four I like to call it a clean out, living in the fear of the Lord. Sometimes we see this word fear in the Bible and we get confused. And this is the number one blind spot Christians have, right? You say, what do you mean, preacher? This, this is what hinders our Christian growth more than anything. Here, here's what it is. You have people on both sides of the spectrum. You have this side of the spectrum of fear God. And here's what this is. I'm terrified of God. God's trying to kill me. God hates me. And I'm scared of everything to do with God. And then you've got this side of the spectrum. And God is their, uh, pardon me for saying it this way, but God is their Friday night drinking buddy. Like we're just good friends, me and God. That's all we, I mean, God, I'm, I'm God, he's God, doesn't matter, we're all God, we all love each other, God just loves me. I mean, all, everything's true, but the, the balance is more in the middle because the Bible says that the church is living in the fear of the Lord. Now, let me tell you what that means. It doesn't mean to fear God's presence. It doesn't mean that you won't approach God. As a matter of fact, it, it almost means the opposite of that, that a person will, we stand in awe of God, but we're willing to approach him and know him because he's a sovereign being of the universe. It doesn't mean you're so afraid that you won't believe in him and trust in him. It doesn't mean you're so afraid that you won't worship him. It doesn't mean you're so afraid that you won't do his will or serve him. It does mean, though, that you have a godly fear of him and understand judgment is coming one day. That you have a holy sense of God's presence. That you have a consciousness that God is... um, working around you all the time, that you have a sense of fear and wonder about your Christian life. So many places in the Bible, you can see it, but Ecclesiastes 12, the preacher said this, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, the whole duty of man. He said, look, I'm going to sum up the Christian life in one phrase. Here it is. It's good for you to know. Fear God and keep his commandments. That's it. How do I be a good Christian? Fear God, keep his commandments. We, we see it again in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy said this, and now is there what does the Lord thy God require thee? Here it is, sum it up. But to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all his ways, and love him, and to serve the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your soul. There it is again. Fear God and walk in his ways. Fear God and keep his commandments. It doesn't mean you're terrified of God, but it means we approach God with an awe and respect, with an awe and wonder. And listen, that healthy fear of God will make us clean out our living so we will not be ashamed to see him as coming because listen i need to remind you the bible does say follow me you'll stand before god in judgment day you'll never be a good christian until you understand god is god and you are not and you have a healthy fear and wonderment and awe about god hey some of 90 percent of the room 
like I, I'm not gonna have to finish this story because it's your story too. But let me, let me. Ninety percent of the people watching online, like you got it, you got this. But w- when I was a little kid, I was a little rambunctious kid. Like I could, I wasn't mean, but you know, I was a boy, and boys gonna do what boys gonna do, and you know, boys just getting fights and getting trouble, and we we cut things and saw things and burn things. That's just what we do. And so uh, I was in the summertime, and you know, my mom would be watching us, and I mean, it's just a little rambunctious. And mom tried her best to control us. She wasn't really good at it with me, like. You know moms. I mean, now maybe you're a terrifying mom from the Avengers movies. I don't know. But most moms just are not that way. And my mom was not very good. Mom would try to control us and try to control me, rather. My sister was great. Mom tried to control me. I just wasn't really good. She wasn't good at it. And mom was like, try to spank me. And so most time I'd either laugh or run from mom when she tried to spank me. So I, I've got this memory of in the living room and mom's just chasing me around the couch and I'm just running like, and I finally let her catch me and spank me because she was getting out of breath and I was afraid he's going to hurt her somehow. And, and, uh, she'd spank me and it's all I do not to laugh. Now I know I just have, some of you just went, <gasps> your parents spanked you. And they did, they did. I kept me out of prison. So it worked out in my life. Like, it was good for me. It was good for me. You do what you want to do, uh, it, was, it was good for me. And uh, so I, I reconciled this later on in life because I realized I, my, my parents were, you know, equal opportunity uh, spankers. And, and, like, sometimes I got a spanking, and I, I'd, I'd stand before the Lord himself and say, I didn't deserve that spanking. But there are a lot of times I got by with it. They didn't catch me that I didn't get one. And so I felt like it all evened out. At the end of the day, it all evened out. And I was good with every spanking I ever got. And my parents did spank spank me. And a lot of people, I'm really confused about people call spanking capital punishment. Because I thought that was the electric chair. Like that's not... It's not capital punishment. That that's we we didn't go that far, but they they did spank me and and so I mom would just be trying to control me, you know, and I'd be like, nah, you catch me, or I'd let her spank me, and it's like, you know, this that's pitiful, like that is not good at all. But mom had these secret words she could use, and if I just gotten out of control and she couldn't do anything with me, and does anybody know what the secret words are? Because it's probably true in your life too, right? Right. I'm gonna tell your daddy when he gets home. Well, now we've done up the game. Like now it's done gone and got serious. Well, why'd you have to do that for? Because dad didn't play around with that stuff. And, and mom would be like, I'm going to tell you dad when he gets home. And I'm like, oh, oh, so that's how we're playing. I'm sorry. Do you need help in the kitchen? Like, um, I was going to go memorize the book of John in the Bible, but if you'd rather me do something else, I mean, I don't know, I was going to go pray for a while. But when mom hit that point where she said she was going to tell dad, if mom said she was going to tell dad, she, she's going to tell dad. And mom be standing at the end of the driveway kind of like this, uh, end of the carport, kind of like this, waiting for dad to drive up. And dad knew, like, he knew when she was standing there, the oven wasn't broken because he knew it was me. And I was usually hiding under the bed somewhere in the house or on the street behind us. And so dad would come in and dad, dad would come in and dad would say this, mom would tell him the story. And by the way, dad didn't care what my version of the story was. Like I never got to really tell my side of anything. He assumed I was wrong and carried that assumption with him till the day he died. Most of the time he died 40, when he was 46. But, but dad just assumed I was the one in the wrong and so he didn't ask me my version of the story ever that I ever remember. And so dad would say this. Dad would say, Joel, come here. And he'd say, oh, yeah. He said, I want you to go sit in your room. And dad would leave me in the room for 10 minutes. And he wouldn't do anything. It was just psychological torture on me because he wanted me to sit back there and think about it. And it worked. I'd start crying before dad would get in the room because I was trying to get a little sympathy. But dad would do this thing when he came in the room if he used a belt. And I know. I'm sorry. This probably should not go out online, but dad would whip me with the belt. 
And uh, I had girls. You didn't have to do any of this with girls, so I don't care what you do. But, but I, I, Dad would with me. And Dad would unbuckle his belt like slowly, like take it off. And then he'd grab the buckle and make a big show out of it. And he'd, you know what he did, don't you? I'd be standing there, and he'd pull it out in one fell swoop. And it makes that noise. Whack, 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 whack. And he'd get right here with it and bring it down all at the same time on my rear end. So it was been in the room, crying for 10 minutes. Uh, Dad come in there, didn't even ask my side of the story. The audacity not to even ask me what I thought about what was going on. And stand me there. He'd unbuckle the belt. He'd pause for just a second and do the what, what, what. And the what, 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 what. I, I died then. But he'd what, what, what. And he'd come out and whack all at the same time. And there was much more to it than that. But, hey, that didn't have to happen but two, three, well, Six, 12, 24 times <laughs> before I had a healthy fear and awe of my dad in me. And I could push mom up into the point, she'll say, Let me tell you, son. And I'm like, Hey, what do you need, mom? What do you need? Because if she ever said, I'm telling dad, she told dad. And I even just got better as a kid because I figured out every day, dad is coming home. And a little bit in a Christian's life, there ought to be a fear of the Lord, not terrified. But you do know Jesus is coming back, right? And the Bible says that when Jesus comes back, we'll stand before him in judgment and we will give an account of everything we've done in this body. Now, it's not going to keep us out of heaven if you're a Christian. If you're not a Christian, it will. You'll spend eternity in hell. When he comes back, it's too late. It's over. But if you're a Christian, here's what the Bible says, that you will give an account, listen to this, of every word you say and every deed you've ever done. Ouch. Literally, that's invitation sentence, right? Everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done and I, I got to thinking about this. I'm, I'm hoping God forgot some things. But you know how crazy we are now? You know how stupid we are now? We put dumb stuff in print on social media. And you're like, well, it never goes away. No, it doesn't because God keeps a record of it. Everything we've ever said, everything we've ever done, everything we've ever put on social media, one day God's going to sit you down and say, can we talk about this? And that ought to keep a healthy fear of God not terrified. I still want to serve and worship and live for him, but enough so that I want to clean out my life. That means me living any old way is not going to work. Me having sin in my life is not going to work. Me having bitterness and unforgiveness in my life is not going to work. Me having immorality in my life is not going to work. You will be a better Christian when you clean out your life because you have a healthy fear of God. Number five, I'm finished. Let me say point out. Here's what it said to sum all that up. At the end of that verse, before it said the church grew, it was encouraged by the Holy Spirit. When the Bible says we're encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it doesn't just mean you were made happy by the Holy Spirit. It means guided, directed, exhorted, encouraged. Here's what it was. The Holy Spirit pointing out 
where they needed to go, how they need to serve, what they need to preach. Listen, uh, most commentators say the book of Acts, if you look in your Bible at the book of Acts, it says the Acts of the Apostles. Most commentators say the title should be the Acts of the Holy Spirit because here's what we see beginning in chapter 1, that every chapter in Acts, every verse in Acts is the Holy Spirit directing the church what to do, directing the Christians what to do. The early church was learning that without the physical presence of Jesus, they had to rely on the Holy Spirit because remember the apostles, remember how the apostles been for three and a half years they got up when jesus got up told them to they went to bed when jesus told them to they ate what jesus said eat they went where jesus said go they preached where he said preach they they did what he said everything was jesus directing their life and all of a sudden jesus is taken away and here's what he says to them hey by the way it'll be better when i'm gone because i'm gonna send you the holy spirit and he's gonna do all that for every one of you And can I tell you, as a church, as a Christian, even while we're scattered, walking with the Spirit of God in your life will do more for your Christian life than anything else. You have the Holy Spirit as your friend to counsel you, to help you make decisions, to convict you, to comfort you, to tell you where you go, what you ought to do, what you ought to say, how you ought to talk, how you want to live, directed by the Holy Spirit. He points out. Every step you need to take in your Christian life. Close your Bibles and I'm finished. I'm done. Next week, I talked about inviting people. Next week, I'm starting a sermon series called Cope. And we're going to talk about how to deal with stress and anxiety in difficult times in a biblical manner. And so I want you to invite people to that next week. But listen, as I close out this week, the Holy Spirit points out and helps us be the best Christian we can possibly be. Did you know that in... we've got a little bit of baseball, that's weird, but we're trying, and they say football's going to happen, and we hope so, but I get to thinking about football, and I don't know if you know this or not, but in 1956, two Ohio inventors named George Sarles and John Campbell invented a radio receiver to go in the helmets of quarterbacks. Now, if you know anything about uh, football today, you know that the quarterback has a receiver in his helmet, and the coaches can talk to the quarterback, but that just came around not long ago. In 1956, that was illegal, and they, these two inventors developed it for the Cleveland Browns and their quarterback, George Ratterman. And so they, the team put it in. Matter of fact, here it is in the Hall of Fame. Here's the helmet they developed. It has a radio receiver inside of it, and uh, the coaches could stay on the sideline, one coach, and he could talk to them and tell them what plays to call, where to run or pass, who to throw it to, what the defense was doing. It's not allowed. They played four games with this illegal receiver in their helmet. And finally, they're playing the Detroit Lions, and the Detroit Lions were like, hey, they're better than they should be. Like, they know stuff, like something's going on. And the Detroit Lions sent an assistant coach around the field, out of the stadium, back in, and walked in on the Brown sidelines. And there he found on a table a radio transmitter and caught a coach calling in plays to George Ratterman, who's the Cleveland quarterback. Well, the Burt Bell, who was the uh, NFL commissioner at the time, he, he outlawed it. He punished the Browns. And it was almost 40 years later, 1994, where the NFL finally approved quarterbacks having a receiver in their ear. And it was 14 years later before one defensive guy got it, 2008. But 1994, quarterbacks got a receiver in the ear. And they could listen to coaches who had to be on the sidelines, on the sidelines. And here was the deal. Uh, that, you say, why does that matter? If you don't know anything about football, if you watch NFL, you get it. But if you don't know anything about football, the coaches 
help him call the play. The coaches help him read the defense. The coaches help him know whether to run or pass or all that stuff. It's an, it was an amazing, amazing offensive weapon when it first came out. And he's got somebody who's talking in his ear all the time, telling him what to do. And here's what it does. It helps a quarterback be the best quarterback he can possibly be. And I can tell you, we have something better than that in our lives. We have the Holy Spirit of God. And his job is much the same as that coach is. He whispers in our ear, in our heart, and in our lives to help us be the best Christian we can possibly be. Hey, don't do that. Hey, that's the step you ought to take. That person's probably not, you need to witness to them, not hang out with them. I wouldn't, I wouldn't post that if I were you. I'd get that out of your life if I were you. Today might be a good day to start reading your Bible. When was the last time you prayed? That little voice you hear inside saying all those things, that is the Holy Spirit of God. Some of you may be watching and listening and here in the room and you're thinking, well, I've never heard that. It could be because you're not saved. Could be. Here is the plan for the church being bigger and better. Called out, peace, growing, fear of God, walking in the Holy Spirit. How are you doing with that? I'm going to ask you, to, if you're in the room, stand with me with your heads bowed, your eyes closed, nobody looking around. If you're watching online, if you're here in the room and you do not know Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life, can I tell you something? Uh, the most important decision you make is trusting Him today. If you don't know that you're a Christian, you can know today, and it's as simple as ABC. A, you need to admit that you're a sinner and cannot save yourself. You can't be good enough to go to heaven or earn your way to heaven. B, you've got to believe Christ died on the cross for your sin and rose again the third day. It's a gospel. And C, you have to call out to Him, confess Him as Lord and Savior of your life. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Admit, believe, confess. Admit you're a sinner, can't save yourself, believe the gospel, and ask God to save you. No matter where you are, in the room, online, or at Rossville, if you need to be saved, I want you to do that just now. Bow your heads, close your eyes. Some of you may know how to pray, and you can go ahead and ask God to save you. Some of you need help. Most people do the first time they pray. You can say something like this, dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I can't earn my way to heaven. But I know that Christ already paid the cost so I could go to heaven when he died on the cross and rose again. So just now I invite Christ into my life to save me, forgive me of my sin, and give me a home in heaven. I trust Jesus and Jesus alone. Hey, if you just prayed that prayer, you are born again. Here's what I want you to do. Sometime today, take out your phone and text I did to the number 97,000. I did. Where phone number goes, type in 97,000, text I did. We're going to leave this up on the screen for a minute. And so if you're watching on a phone or an iPad or a computer, you can screenshot that and if you're jot it down real quickly. If you're in the room at Rossville, you can take a picture of it and do that later on today. I did. We have somebody do it almost every week. Some people text in I did to 97,000. We have a book that's going to tell you the next steps to take in the Christian life. It's a little pamphlet. And we want to get those to you because there's some things you need to do immediately. Now, we talk to Christians and we're done. If I were to ask you, when's the last time you grew in your faith, invited somebody to church, thought about judgment, or walked in the Spirit, what would you say? 
Those are the basics of the Christian life, and yet we neglect those. And the reason our churches don't get bigger and better is because the individual members in our church are not doing those very things. We can't do that as a group. We do that individually. So I'm going to close this service out by praying for us. But I wonder how many this morning would say, Preacher, you know what? I need some help with any, some, or all of those things you've talked about, and I want you to pray with me. Here in the room, would you just lift your hand up and say, hey, preacher, that's me. I saw myself in that sermon. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. If you're watching online or at Rossville, let me pray for you just now. Father, we love you. Thankful that we get to be the church. Thank you, Lord, when this happened, we could still meet scattered. Thank you now that we're starting to come back. You're watching over us. And for those who are here, for those who are online, We want to be the best Christian we can possibly be. And help us do it. Forgive us where we failed you, but let us start afresh and anew tomorrow. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week as we help equip you to apply God's Word to your daily life. For the latest updates about what's happening around Peavine City, be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. For more information about Peavine or to get in touch with us, please visit our website, peavine.org. Thanks for listening.